is Spur Leadership Podcast number 16. I am Mac Richard, joined here with the inimitable Mike Ward. <laughs> and at the moment of this recording, we are sitting here on March the 11th, yeah. trying to figure out what's going to be the actual fallout of the coronavirus. And one of the things that I think is a unique opportunity, obviously, our hearts and our prayers go out to those who have already been affected and infected with the virus. And I think it really presents some massive leadership challenges and raises some questions about how you handle what you're doing. We just got yeah. the word that the NCAA has said no fans at any March Madness games. That's staggering to me. That, that tells me that people are really reacting to this. Yeah, I think people are really reacting, and, and to your point, they're also, it sounds like being proactive with, let's just, let's cut it off. Let's figure right. out a way to not make sure that there's big audiences and big groups. I think there's some number I was hearing this morning that anything over 2,500 yep. people together is where they're considering, you know. Kind of drawing the, the line. concerts, yeah, the lines. Well, the and here in events. Austin, for example, just, uh, was it Monday of this week? that South by Southwest was canceled. Yeah. Has never happened in the history of this festival that typically brings in about $537 million a year to the Austin economy. And the city said, no, yeah. we're not doing that. Here's what's interesting to me. I understand South by Southwest is over 400,000 people coming here from around the country and around yeah. the world. Now, let's let's – bring that bubble down a little bit mm. to a church of let's say 1500 or 2000, 5000. That's a different animal because those people by, I mean, for the vast majority of them are already local. Mm. We don't have a lot of people commuting from the far East to come to church here every yeah. weekend, but you still have to think about how do you make those decisions as the leader? And to me, Mike, this, this is something you and I've talked about before. I think the operative word in any leadership context, whether it's the church, the city of Austin, South by Southwest, a business, the NCAA, whatever it may be, the operative word is responsibility. Yep. And when you, when you start with that assumption, the first, the first thing is safety. Because it doesn't matter how great your vision is, how super you execute, if your people aren't safe, None of that matters. Yeah. Well, and before going into the responsibility, just one thing that, that comes to mind, and because I, I think there's one case here in, in Austin. Maybe there's more, but at least and I the think one it's that, even in Round Rock. It's not even in Travis County. Exactly. And so this case that's talked about here, as they kind of played it out, they said, you know, the, traveled, I believe, from India, you know, for business. Just the flights alone on the people that they would have been around, I think, was a total of 700 people. Of from flight attendants to people in the airport, you know, kind of however they measure that. They yep. said from that individual's trip potentially impacted 700 people. Now those 700 people, which may or may not be impacted by it, now go and think of all those touch points. And so just the spread of this. Right, right. To control, the, your responsibility to control that, it's just – it's it's incredible. Well, how and much. again, the, today the World Health Organization for the first time used the word pandemic. Yeah, and 
and so there there are a couple of different things, a couple of different levels when you think about responsibility. There is the responsibility to keep people safe from that virus itself. Yeah. But then there's also the responsibility to try to discern people's response, to mm. anticipate people's response to the actual virus. Because a lot of times the response yeah. is what's, what's going to impact, it's already impacted the world mm. in ways, hopefully and prayerfully, that the pandemic will never affect in terms of quantity. But people are, you know, people in Austin, Texas, there's there's literally one, at this moment, there's one case yeah. in the greater Austin area. It's not even in Austin. And yet, grocery stores are out of toilet paper and Purell hand sanitizer. I, I, heard, I heard HEB for the last two weeks has had records, like beyond anything they've ever seen in years of sales. Yeah. Right? So to, to that point, it's it's, here's the problem. And I think with any situation, here's the problem, and then here's the multiplier of a problem. Yeah. Right? And, and I think a lot of times people make that, and, and it's usually drawn up, and, and a lot of things are made bigger than they need to be. But this has, as a Canadian, I like to use the snowball effect, and this snowball's going fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's just multiplying. in the last three days. Yeah. Uh, today's Wednesday. Monday, the biggest single-day point drop in the history of the New York Stock Exchange. Yesterday bounces back maybe half of that loss, yeah. and then today that loss down again. Completely gone, 5%. Down, so, in, down into like bear market territory yeah. at one point today. I don't know where it's closed. But again, we don't have that much new information about the actual coronavirus itself to, to warrant hmm. that, kind, that kind of volatility in the stock market, which tells you it's so far that yeah. at least – as a as a barometer of what's going on, it's a thousand percent emotional. Yeah, it's it's people responding emotionally, and obviously the stock market. People trying to figure out how people are going to respond. And I've just been trying to think about all the different leadership situations that are going on right now. And you talk about the word responsibility, right? So you've got the Google and the Facebooks that have come out and said, "Please work from home." Yeah, right. And yes, that's a travel protection, safety, you know, things that that are going on, you know, why they're making those decisions, but potentially Facebook advertising or Google, you know, and all the different business units underneath that may or may not have a financial impact to that uh, from from the virus and what's going on. I don't know their business as well enough to under appreciate right. or I haven't spent enough time to think about it. But then you've got the oil and gas companies on the other extreme that happen to be going through this extreme situation because of battles with, you know, Russia OPEC and all and OPEC Russia. and all the situations going on that their responsibility is not just the safety of their people. Their responsibility is the fact that some of these companies may not be in business in three to six months. And so shareholder responsibility to now these people aren't, we're not just asking to stay at home to not get a virus. We're not sure if you're going to have a job. Right. And so the, just to think about, I like to call them the war rooms that are going on right now with key decision makers having yep. to make the right calls yeah. so that you're not hopefully blowing these things to be bigger and constantly making it that snowball effect to be a bigger snowball, but addressing it right. in the best ways with the right information that they have at their fingertips. That's, there's got to be a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of tough discussions being had. Right. I now. know we're having some here just as a church, yeah. you know, we're one of the, Summer is like one of the unique opportunities of the year in terms of ministry, particularly, mm -hmm. not only, but particularly for 
for children with vacation Bible school and camps, students with camps and that sort of thing. And as we sit here on March the 11th, we've got to make some some hard decisions with imperfect information yeah. pretty quick. You know, do we do we go all in on camps or do we tell parents, you know what, in an, in an, in an abundance of caution, this summer we're going to do something more locally, but we're not going to load everybody up on a bus and go yeah. somewhere. Beginning, again, with that assumption of responsibility. Yeah. What's our responsibility to our people? And then there's the responsibility, like you just alluded to, for example, with the oil companies, but in the churches as well, you know, our fiscal responsibility, mm-hmm. our, our responsibility to steward the resources that we've been entrusted with, you know, is it a smart idea for us to put deposits, for example, to put deposits down on buses that are going to travel across country for camps? At this moment, it's not responsible. Now, we may hopefully get some more information yeah. sooner rather than later, but I think that's one of the unique windows most of the time. Forget coronavirus for just a second. Most of the time as a leader, you're making decisions based on imperfect information. Yeah. Very rarely do you have perfect data and a perfect understanding of how the market is going to respond to the data and how your customers, your clients, your mm-hmm. church members are going to act and behave. And so you have to make these kind of choices, not necessarily in a vacuum, yeah. but not as well informed as you would like to be. Well, and I think to appreciate the fact that you may not always have the facts, but then to try to play out your potential decision to understand the impacts. Yeah. Right. And and I think that's a big challenge as well, especially if there's something new. Right. Yeah. And, and not that take the coronavirus or any other thing. Uh, most things we've gone through. Right. Now, that may have been decades ago or may have gone on in other countries or whatever it may be. And so for our understanding of going, but if I make this decision, what is that impact? And at the end of the day, you're right. You, you got to be able to take the best information that you have, put the right people around you to bounce it, have those people that the devil advocates, have those people that will challenge and try to go, all right, we vetted option one, two, and three, and our best bet, in a way, it is a bet, is number two. And <clears throat> let's play and that then, out and own it. Yeah, you right? have to own it and communicate it to your teams, your people, your congregation, your yeah. business, who, whatever it may be. Like I said, these principles and, and these these di- these leadership dilemmas mm. transcend arena. You, it doesn't matter where you lead or what you do, yeah. you're going to come up against this. And I think, you know, when, you, when you're making these decisions, I think the best thing to do, you don't have to let everybody into the kitchen to see how the sausage is made necessarily, but the more you can communicate, here's what we're up against. Here's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Here's what we're trying to accomplish as we make these decisions. For example, safety or the survival of the company in the case mm-hmm. of an oil company, you know, who's trying to weather the storms here in Texas as OPEC and Russia battle out supply and demand. That You can't do anything about that. But to communicate to your people, we're going to do the absolute best that we can to save your job in the company. Mm-hmm. And it's it's... I'm just telling you, it's hard right now. Yeah. And I think not everybody responds well, but the vast majority of people understand when thing when there when variables arise. I remember in 2008 and 2009 the economic meltdown that we all went through. Those of us who were old enough to have been there, you <laughs> that know, was the first year of my career. Yeah, what yeah. a great time! But yeah. here's the deal: 
you've been there and done that now. Yeah. You know, like as this thing approaches, and I think even before coronavirus approached, most experts feel like we've had such a run financially and economically that there will be a correction along the way. It exactly. just happens. This is, is it's an overdue. extreme correction. Though. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and just chronologically, based on history, that correction's overdue. So at some yeah. point, we'll see that again. So the question then becomes, how do you prepare for that and how do you communicate that to the people that you're leading? Yeah, and, and I got to think, too, that this actually pulls people together, right? This actually pulls leaders in, in, in that war room, as I talk about. But in a lot of times, you know, we had a meeting Monday, right? And it was a normal leadership meeting, but um, a big chunk of it started to go into the what ifs and yeah. what, what things do we need to consider? And I remember walking out of that meeting and someone said, wow, that was a really good meeting. Well, in a way, it had to be, right? <laughs> right. And, and, it, and it had to be because there was a, there was a serious situation, a serious problem mm -hmm. that we're not sure how and when and where it may impact us and what decisions do we need to start to consider and yep. what timeframes do we need to start to make some of those decisions. And so because of this situation that is a put on basically everyone, like you said, it doesn't matter the arena. It's covering the NCAA to large company to mom-pa type business to the home front. Yep. So it's covering everyone all in the same, but I really think it's rallying people. And I remember in 08, it really rallied us. It was late nights. It was long days. I happened to be in the financial markets at the time and, mm -hmm. and in foreign exchange international payments and volatility was going crazy. But man, did we come together as a team? Does that mean it was all nice and cheerful conversations? <laughs> no. Right. But we had to pull together. Yeah. Um, which I think you're seeing. You're seeing a lot of people, it doesn't matter what side you may be on, politics-wise, whatever it may be, we have to come together and we have to make this happen. And so I, I think unfortunate of the circumstances to do that, but what a unique time for growth Yep. Uh, as a team, as a leader, as an individual, um, you know, to put your head down and, and work on this. And I think, too, when you, when you encounter crisis, and, and crisis just means a, a – crossroads hmm. that's that's it's it can be negative obviously but it's it just it means there's a you're at a you're at an inflection point yeah in in whatever it might be when you get there it's actually always an opportunity it's an opportunity to get healthier it's an opportunity to get stronger it's an opportunity to get better and and i think too one of the things to remember you know when we went through that in 08 as a church you know, we had to let staff go. We, everybody who remained took a pay cut, and, and the percentage pay cut got more pronounced as you went up the org chart. Yeah. The people, you know, the people at the top of the chart took the, the biggest cut. But what it did was it forced us to get sharp. I know uh, there's a great church in Las Vegas, Central Church, Pastor Judd Wilhite. And when they – Las Vegas was kind of the – Yes. Tip of the spear of that economic Massive bubble, impact, right? And and they the were housing just, markets. It was everything. it was terrible. The, what it did in that area, and as a church, you know, charitable giving is one of the first places mm -hmm. that people cut when they when you go through something like that. And so as a church, they went through a huge, huge hit financially. But what they did was it forced them to get creative about how they engaged the membership of their church. Yeah. And how they thought about staff and 
there was this huge shift that they continue to reap the benefits from 12 years later that made them better as a congregation. And, and you got to think that those churches, businesses, whatever they may be, that are doing that outside of situations like this, that are going, how do we become leaner? How do yep. we become more efficient? How do we become innovative and creative with communication, you know, with members or whatever it may be? They're, they're prepared for this. And you right. see some companies that are going, oh, wow, they, you know, they must be doing a lot of those principles or those practices just in a, a, a given day. But you're right. Most people don't. Most people don't look at, you know, the fact that, oh, I should be doing or addressing this until yeah. I need to. Right. I have to. Right. And that nature. personally. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, until, you know, you, you got to put on the suit for, for your wedding. You go, oh, I should probably lose a few pounds. <laughs> um, right. and, and so that those circumstances that now make us address it. I, yeah, you're right. Hopefully a lot of companies are going to come out of this and going to be better. A lot of churches are going to come out of this situation, which we still don't know how deep or how long this may go. But some aren't going to come out. And some of that's circumstantial. You need to be $50 or above to be profitable in oil and that. And you can't control that oil price. There's you know, right, some right. controls in that. But if, if it is controllable, you know, some companies are, are, are not going to make it through because they haven't been doing these activities, the, addressing these processes, uh, you know, being responsible in a way as much as they should have. Take me back to 2008 when you're in the financial markets and, and your whole livelihood depends on exchange rates across the, around yeah. the world. What were some of the tangible things that y'all did in terms of responding to the crisis? Like yeah. when, you, when you think back on that, for somebody who maybe listened to this, who maybe didn't go through that in 08 or who wasn't in business or in a leadership mm -hmm. position at 9-11 19 years ago, what were some of those tangible things that you did to weather that storm? And, and let me just maybe give background on, on, on leading up to that October where it really started to take place. Um, we had made a decision to become a Schedule One bank in Canada. Okay. And so down here in America, that doesn't necessarily, you know, there's, I think there was ten to 14,000 at the time. So it was, you know, very normal to see people pop up a bank, right? right. If you had family what does Schedule and One mean? So that's a top tier bank. Okay. So there's credit unions. In terms of size. Yeah. Or just, you just what, you know, you're local, mm -hmm. so you're homegrown in Canada. Um, and just what the different products and services and the regulations that you were under was was the top tier. Okay. There's 22 in Canadian history at the time. Wow. So we always do that one to ten ratio between Canada and the U.S. and and so that would mean there should only be 220 in the U.S. But there was again 10,000 plus. Right. Right. And you saw how many were left after 0809 as well. Right. There was quite the shakeup. So we get this charter months before. And then all of a sudden this crisis happens. So we know not only are going from a privately held company with an individual and then now there's the shareholders that our responsibility was to them. Now we're responsible to the Canadian Ontario government. Right. 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 And they're going, you can't fail. You can't, you know, we have a strong banking regulation. We're known around the globe for our banking infrastructure. And so we're going to come and sit in, in house. So part of, you know, what we had is someone coming in and going, this is what you're going to be doing, and this is how you're going so to be doing it. So it's almost like the Canadian government becomes a part of your board of directors. It was very, it was very right? heavy. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the, the committee again, OFAC, uh, OS, uh, I'll come back to it. Okay. But it, it was an organization within the government that came and sat 
basically. And so they started to, to tell us what and where we, we can and can't do things. And basically, some of the learnings from it was we were going to continue to do business because volatility was actually very good. We mm-hmm. actually had some of the biggest months of revenue. But the, the risk or the margin or the loans that you were doing as a, as a financial institution, that's where we were worried. Because right. someone that may be in the money on a position, and so let's just say they were, you were selling U.S. dollars and buying Canadian dollars, and we went to the market and did that, and they owed us hundred grand for that. We would say, well, give us 10 now. But that 10 um, grand didn't come to us right away. Like there was this time lapse yeah. in between that. And because this market keeps moving, we go, oh, actually, you owe us 15. And they go, well, I didn't have 15. I had 10. Well, well tough. We need 15 now. And so a lot of our, our issues were more on the risk or the, on, the, on the situations where, where people were needing to give us financial means that we, we got caught. We started to get caught. Yep. Um, and so, the, so some of the practices, some of the principles, some of the learning. When you say, had, I'm trying to, I want to make sure that yeah. I understand, but also for somebody listening, when you say you got caught, you would get caught between that lag time. Yeah. Okay. Of, of them what, paying. Like you got caught in a criminal in, activity. In we, you just got caught in yeah. a lag time. I should be careful. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we had, we had margins, we had banks calling us for money and we needed to be calling these companies for right. money. And we weren't dealing with a large enterprise, right? We were dealing with the smaller businesses, right? right? So where their money was more vulnerable, more vulnerable, you know, it was tight for them. And, uh, and so, you know, those times of having to have difficult conversations back to communicating, um, those times of, of having to address the situation of, of the unknown, they're going, I don't know if I can afford this. And we're going, well, if you can't afford it, we're the in between to afford it to them. So we're going to have to tell them we can't afford it. Right. Right. Um, and the ripple effect, ripple effect, it was, it was extreme. And so that was, that was a very, now going through it, like you said, that was a great experience for the first 12, 18 months of my career. Yeah. But at the same Baptism time, by fire. that was a really nerve wracking sure. experience. And I, and I remember one side story, and I know this kind of, but it, it just it keeps me up at nights when I still think about it or remember it. We had, had a client up in Ottawa, which is the uh, capital of Canada. And it was in the, uh, they were in the furniture business. Okay. And they owed us $70,000. And I remember the owner going, you either get them to pay 70 or you pay 70. And Lori and I are not even 30 days married. You know, September 21st, we get married. This is like mid-October, not even 30 days married. And I remember coming home going, uh, I might have to fly to Ottawa and get $70,000 or we may, may need to find it somewhere because, you know, wow. again, this risk, this, right, this situation. Right. And so it, it was, it was that baptism by fire, you know, it was extreme, extreme times, but, Man, did we learn a lot, and did it sharpen you because of, you know, some of the things that you just you st- or you had to put in place. Okay, here's a here's a question because I think this is the most fascinating part of all is how people react, how people react and respond in a crisis. What were some of the things that you learned about people in crisis that you still draw from as far as how to lead people, yeah. so particularly as you think about leading now in a crisis like we have. I think one thing that stands out is some people obviously handle it well and some people don't. Yeah. And so there's some people that don't. Obviously, you needed to support and comfort, but you needed to get them out of the room, mm-hmm. right? If, if you can't problem solve or, or be an asset in this current situation. You're not part of the solution. We can't. We yeah. can't. And that's we're not trying to be mean. I mean, you know, again, maybe you're handling how to go chase that money yeah. in a different way. Uh, and that just you, you can't handle the fact that we need to 
be in business six months from now and we need to start making key decisions or, or collect data, collect information. And I information. think that's a really important thing to point out, Mike, because I think especially if you're young in your leadership development, mm. you want to take input from everybody, but not all input is created equally. Yeah. You know, and so you have to be able to discern who are the folks who have the information that can help figure out a solution and who are the folks that have the intestinal fortitude? Who are the people that have the emotional resiliency to be able to function in uncertainty yeah. in order to get to a solution? And that's not everybody. Everybody is valuable. Everybody is created in the image of God. Everybody matters. But not everybody is helpful in that situation. Yeah. Or... What I also found, too, was not everyone can communicate the way that is helpful. In right. those. So they may have some good thoughts or good ideas, sure. but their ability to not kind of go off the handle or their ability to not be over-opinionated versus trying to lay out the plan um, in that communication is very key during that time, obviously, as well. And so you're right. It's it's get the right people around you, and I appreciate yeah. that's a – Jim Collins, you know, that's a very normal business practice, but in circumstances like this where yep. it's kind of like all hands on deck, extreme situations to be handled, it's so critical. I think one of the things that, that I've seen in church world, having done this for more than a minute now, is you have some people who are so gifted and empathetic hmm. with people, whether that's somebody who's struggling personally or somebody on staff who's struggling, whatever it may be. There are other people who are so gifted analytically. And, and usually those, those categories are not in the same person. Every now and then that happens, but that's a unicorn. <laughs> but the person, because when, when you have to make decisions, let's, let's, let's use the oil company example for a second. When you're making decisions strategically as a business, or as a church, but as a business that are going to determine whether you exist or don't exist anymore. You can't make decisions based on how those decisions will affect every person in the organization. Yep. Because if you do that, you're going to you're going to you're going to hold back on some hard decisions that have to be made for the survival of the of the entity. Yep. Business, church, whatever it may be. Whereas you can treat everyone with dignity, with respect, but you still have to make some hard decisions that may impact some people negatively. You know, I've got a good friend who works for, for Dell Technologies, and he's been there now for over 20 years. And he stayed through multiple reorganizations, through when they were taken private. Now they're talking about going public again. Yeah. He's been there for a long, long time, but he said, one of the reasons that I stayed, he's in HR. One of the reasons that I've stayed is I want to help people when a company like Dell transitions, I want to be the personal face that helps them and lets them know when we've reorganized and we have to let you go, you still matter to me. Yeah. And I want to help you walk out the door with dignity. I want to help you find what's next. I want to help you do that. And he said, that's, that's become my ministry in the marketplace. He said, if I, if I had left and cashed out all my options when I could have and done whatever, 
I would have missed so many opportunities yeah. to make a difference in people's lives. And so I think, again, to kind of bring this conversation back full circle, when you operate from a place of responsibility, that's where you make the most impact. And, you know, I've got, I've got several friends who are in that oil industry that you were describing earlier, and I know they're having sleepless nights. I, I know they are. But I also know that they genuinely care about every single name that's on their roster, that's on their payroll. They don't care about – they don't only care about what they bring to the bottom line. They care about them as people. Yeah. And they feel a responsibility to keep the business afloat not only for themselves, but for their, their employees, the people that they lead, the people that they, they see themselves as responsible to them as much as they are to, you know, making a good living in oil. So taking on that, taking that posture of responsibility, I think can help, particularly when there's so much unknown, can really, really, really help to simplify. Mm. And when you simplify, you clarify. So what's my responsibility to the organization and to the people that I lead? And let's move forward. And I'm thinking about some of our listeners will be those leaders at that talk, you know, that, that are making some of those decisions. And then we'll have some that are in the middle level leadership, and then we'll have some that are new and junior to a role, right? Maybe just at a, grad, a great point at a university. And so I think the thing I used to struggle with and have an opinion on. A long on. time ago. A long time ago. Um, hopefully I don't still, but my wife will tell me after hearing this if I still do, <laughs> is trying to put myself in the decision maker's shoes. Right. And understand that responsibility. Back to you, you were saying earlier, you can't make a decision that will be positively impacting every single person. Right. And so to understand, and I remember the analogy, you know, the glass house, that, that person needs to collect all the information, make a decision, but man, it's very easy for the people below that doesn't have all the facts and doesn't have right. all things to, to judge that, especially if they're going to be the ones that may have a negative impact. And I think going back it, to what you said earlier, for that junior member of the team to understand nobody, no one has all the information, yeah. no one has perfect information. And if you have been in the business less than five years or you've been on the staff less, less than – three, four, five, ten years, you really don't have all the information. Yeah. There's no way that you can see all of the layers and understand all of the implications of this decision. Yeah. And so you have to choose to trust. That leader has to trust you as well. That leader needs to be trustworthy, but that's where responsibility comes yeah. in. If everybody's operating from a place of responsibility, we can make mistakes but we, we decide that they're not mistakes born out of a heart problem. They're mistakes born out of circumstances changing, information changing and shifting. That, those kind of things we can deal with. But when you, when you get into trouble is when you start assuming and assigning blame. You yeah. assume he's doing this or she's doing that because of such and such. And so that just means she's a yeah. bad person or he's a bad guy. And that's where the trust breaks down. That's where, that's where the entire fabric of the organization is literally in peril. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that right now we're talking about what we believe is leaders doing the right thing. Right. 
Some leaders may not always make those Granted. calls, right? And and so, but let's park those for for the conversation. I think back to me being in that position in the early parts of my career, and my challenge to people right now in this circumstance is is that word trust is give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. Especially right now, especially when we're not sure how this may impact every part of our world. Mm-hmm. It really is. And in because I remember it was post a decision. I go, oh, I wouldn't have made that decision. Of course, I have the post facts. Yeah. I don't have the pre information. Yep. And so it's always easier, you know, to always. have an opinion afterwards, which which then, you know, right or wrong or, or, or good and bad. Maybe that decision wasn't the best one. But again, they made it off of the information they had at yep. the time. And so I think to give that leaders that are going on right now the benefit of the doubt to um, try to put yourself in those shoes and just appreciate the fact that you don't have all, all the facts that they may have. You know, we have CDC, we have the WHO, we have people getting on Fox News, CNN to CNBC, giving us information and in, in what's going on. Um, and again, some of those people may have more information than us. Some may have a ton more information than us. And so I think before having too many opinions right now, right. It's, we, we've got to make sure that you know, we're just being appreciative of a lot of people are in circumstances. You don't go to university you know, for dealing with pandemic, right. crisis. You know? right. And so they're being put into situations that is new to some of them. I think something else that you just touched on, but I want to I want to say this because I think it really really matters not only in this case but in particularly as we are coming into the vortex of a political season. Yeah, I think it's also really important to listen to the news with discernment, hmm. and and listen is this person sharing information. Or does this person have an agenda? And and to never forget, I don't care. I don't care where you get your news, whatever the the cable news outlet that it is. If it's CNN, if it's Fox, if it's MSNBC, whatever it may be. They are news businesses. Yeah, they are in. They exist first and foremost to make money. And the way that you make money in that arena in that environment is conflict. All good TV focuses on starts with con- with conflict. So that's not to say that all reporters are bad. That's mm. not to say that all anchors have an agenda necessarily. <laughs> but it says I've got the responsibility to listen with discernment and go, does this person have an agenda or are they sharing information? Yeah. Particularly when you're talking about a health situation there are a lot of people that are going to use this subject in this this news cycle to to spin a particular political agenda, which that's fine. That's what they do. Yeah. Um, but be smart about gathering information. Gather the information, but be wise. Be smart about it. Be discerning. And I think that it, when it's all said and done, NASA's posted something today that said. They don't know. And, and the thing I love about NASA and the military, they don't really – there's politics within them because it's all people. But they're always most concerned with being right. They Because if they're wrong, people yeah. die. So their concern is being right. And they don't know right now if this is going to be a blip on the screen that six months from now we look back on, kind of like we do Y2K. And look, remember how everybody freaked out about yeah. Y2K? 
and it was no big deal. I am old enough to remember that, yeah. This may be the same thing. It, or they said it's possible this could be worse than the Spanish flu outbreak of 1918. They literally don't know yet. And so no, if, if NASA admits we don't know, I think that's a great place for all of us to start, too. <laughs> and anybody who's on TV is to go, we don't know. So let's be wise. Yeah. Let's be discerning. And to your point of earlier, let's be proactive about this yeah. thing and and make these decisions the best that we can and communicate to our people. We're making these decisions with imperfect information, but here's what we're trying to accomplish as we make them, and here's why we made the decision, and we'll see. You use two other words. Or we've used two other words, trust and responsibility, mm-hmm. right? So that's a lot from discernment to, you know. Uh, but right now is a great time for wherever you are on where you think your growth as an individual, as a business person, as a you know, church leader, whatever it may be, to, to step up. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think. And if I look back on the 08 global financial crisis, GFC that we used to call it, it actually propelled my career. Because there was a door opening of a situation to become a leader in a room that you know I filled the seat. And so right now I appreciate this is not necessarily to think about it from a career move standpoint but it is a step up and be a leader wherever that household wherever it may be right now during these circumstances of the unknown yep. um you know to t- talk about the words of trust and discernment and and not to get so caught on one news anchor's opinion or or one you know how the leader in your business is making a certain decision but to step back and go you know i i, I can be a positive in this situation right now go do it it's a great great place to stop it's also a great place i think for us to throw out a couple of little teasers about some things that are coming up here in the future when you talk about helping and equipping leaders going forward we've got a couple of conversations that we've already had yeah. that we're getting ready to release tell us about those yeah we have two great ones and more to come as well that we already got lined up but um, we had the chance just a few weeks ago to sit down uh, with theo rossi and, and Theo's had a great career. I think it's about 20 years in, in Hollywood yep. TV, Sons of Anarchy, which he had a big role in and has done multiple shows and movies and so on. And so to talk about an individual that's gone from the streets of New York yep. um, to a successful Holly, Hollywood career you know, was, it was a great opportunity for us to sit down. Business owner, you know, just all the things that he's involved in. And, and man, it, it was, was interesting to hear him talk about the differences between being the guy who's delivering the lines – to starting his own production company yeah. and being responsible for the whole thing yeah. was just was really really interesting. Yeah, so that was a great one, and that should be uh, released here shortly. And then last Monday, man, did we have a good day? Last it Monday, kind of was kind of a good day. And so we were out at Clemson meeting Coach Sweeney, being able to sit down with him, and and what was supposed to be a half an hour podcast, I think, turned into about an hour and a half, hour and forty five of us. I was blown away. By the generosity yeah. of not just his time, but his generosity of spirit. I mean, and, and what was really cool, too, Mike, I know you saw this and felt the same way. It bled out into every single person we came in contact with in the building, from from his assistant to the people, you know, the receptionist there at the door when we walked in early that morning. It was, it was amazing yeah. to get to be around, not just because of the success that they've had as a program, which – is pretty impressive when you see all the rings and all the stuff that they've got. But to see kind of behind the curtain a little bit and, and let Dabo talk a little bit about why and how they've built a culture that is unique in college yeah. football, 
that to me was like I, I told him, I said, you know, I think this is going to serve and, and help a whole lot of people who see this later on. But selfishly, it was one of the it was one of the most powerful learning experiences I've ever had in my life. I told him, I said, you know, I don't know what anybody else gets from it, but Lake Hills Church mm-hmm. just got a lot better because I got to sit down and have this conversation. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible. And I think when that video comes out, that's going to be a lot of people wanting to tune in and, and to see that behind the scenes and see this individual that I appreciate is on TV and, and is out there um, explaining a lot of what he does. But man, that was a, that was a great one one And I think it, that's a good thing for us to highlight again, why we do this is to put people's stories, the practices, their principles out for others to be encouraged by yep. t- for them, you know, for us to serve them. I like that word that you just used. And so over the last year, when we've done the Jesse James, governor Perry, you know, the different individuals we've done, we've, we've gotten up to, I think, just short of a million people we've been able to yeah. share these stories with. And again, that's not for you and I from any impact, right? And I think that's important for people to know, but it's, it's for um, us to be able to, you know, get that, that information out there. So I encourage anyone that is listening, share this. Share the ones that are coming out, you know, when you know someone's a college football fan that would love to hear from Coach and, or someone that would love to hear the behind the scenes of being a, you know, Hollywood actor. Yep. Um, we've got a lot more coming too. It's going to be good. It's going to be good.